1: Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. And
2: the kick is good.
1: We'll take you to places most fans never go.
2: We'll watch from 60.
1: To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is
0: going to be a touchdown. Taysom
2: Hill to Taysom TD.
1: Welcome to Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. (laughs) Oh, baby! What's up, Saints fans? Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak bringing you another edition of Inside Black and Gold, a post-game edition And sadly, we were so close, I felt, to getting on that two-game winning streak, Jeff. And then the team just found a way to lose. And the run game was effective. Past issues of penalties and turnovers, not a problem. But yet the good old chunk play, big plays, come back to haunt us once again in the form of two former beloved LSU studs.
3: Yeah. I think that was the most painful part. Uh, again, I'm Jeff Nowak. You follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak alongside Steve Geller, Steve Geller, WWL. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, do me a favor, scroll down, give us a five-star review or whatever stars you think we deserve. I think we're five-star type people, but Hey, you get to decide that hmm. and leave us a review. We only have 11 or 12 reviews on Apple podcasts. I'd like it to be more. I'd like to hear from you. all So make sure to do that. I always appreciate hearing from y'all. So do that now. Back to the regularly scheduled programming. This is brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. Thank there you. There must be a reason. And yeah, so the I think the biggest frustration for me in this game is the guy who screwed up is usually your rock solid guy, which is Blake Gillikin. Like, you know, we're, we're going to talk about Tyron Matthew missing a tackle and Bradley Roby missing a tackle and these big plays and whatever. Blake Gillikin is supposed to be a star punter, right? He's a guy who... You trust and for him to for him to shank it. Two weeks in a row now, too. He had a bad punt last week. Oh, right, right. But I mean, this was such a high leverage moment. Like if you pin them deep, I mean, they're gonna have to go the length of the field at the very least. And they don't have a ton of time to do it. You know, I mean I, they got the ball at their own 40 yard line. You, that can't happen. I mean, that's, that's the frustrating thing for me. It's like, this is a, these are, these are people who you trust. And like every week, it's like somebody new screwing up in a way that you did not anticipate. And this week it was Blake Gilligan, you know, and you know, we could, we're going to talk about some of the missed tackles, you know, Tyron Matthew, everyone's going to get on him. Bradley Roby also missed that tackle, right? Oh. <laughs> Tyron was not alone in that. Um, you know, I, th- I think part of the reason Tyron missed that tackle is because he was kind of setting up to to double team that tackle with Bradley and then Bradley got beat clean and so Tyron was way out of position and he couldn't get back. Um but it's just week after week, right? And so, you know, you you start to question things with Tyron a little bit. Um, here's what Tyron Matthews said after the game regarding that missed tackle there.
2: Uh, I mean, I thought we I thought we did a good job um, obviously to kind of start the game you know, I think as the game went on, you know, they found ways to kind of get them more involved. Um, and, and then that last one, you know, I think that, that's just on us. You know what I mean? We got to make that tackle.
0: Did you think tackling was an issue overall?
2: I thought we tackled pretty well uh, for the most part. Um, you know, obviously, you know, these guys have great playmakers as well. And so, uh, but yeah, a few of those, you know, I think definitely hurt us.
3: We're going to get into this and we're, then we're going to get into a mailbag in the back half spot. To an extent, I agree with that. I thought that Bradley Roby and Paulson Adibo in the secondary hung in pretty well in the first half of this game. And then in the second half, I don't know if they got fatigued. Just didn't look right. You know, and Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, these are very talented playmakers. They did not hold up their end. You didn't have Marshawn Lattimore. You knew it was going to be a struggle. It's getting to the point where it's like this is supposed to be a defense first team. And the defense is what's letting this team down. And now, now I'm back-to-back weeks, right? This, the offense managed to bail them out in week five. They were not able to do that. The Bengals' defense was was a much better than the Seahawks' defense. We've seen some of the limitations that you have with Andy Dalton out there. And, you know, this is a game that you probably didn't deserve to win this game going into it with the pieces you were missing right? This was a game you shouldn't have been expected to win, but you put yourself in a position to win it. And then you took yourself out of that position. And that's, what's frustrating to me. Big problem. I had too, Jeff was the fact that we talked about how bad this
1: Bengals offensive line was. Where was the pressure? Where was the pressure on burrow? They didn't get to him
3: enough. I mean, they, they did in a huge moment on that second to last drive. So yeah, the pressure wasn't great throughout the game. They did show up there. They they got a sack on the opening drive to stop that drive. They got a, they got two sacks in a row on that drive that I thought was destined to get into the end zone. I didn't think the Saints were going to get the ball back with a lead as that drive was going downfield and then DeMario got in for a sack and I can't remember who got the second sack, but uh, you Cade know K Nellis. Nellis, right? And so yeah. they they turned a first and 10 into a third and 27, which forced a field goal that made it 26-24. So, in that sense, I think the pass rush did its job. Then, you know, you kind of turn your head to the Saints and it's like you have to know what's going on on that side of the ball as an offense. And that's in that moment on that drive, you needed to be aggressive and get a couple first downs. And I thought they were way too conservative on the first two plays of that series because you saw what happened on that drive. Like the the pass rush bailed you out on a drive that you were leaking like a sieve. And they managed to 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 stem that for the moment. You, you should have known, if you're on that side of the ball for the Saints, that if you give the ball back to the Bengals, they're going to go down and score. Like, whether it happened in one play, and, and we can complain about Tyron missing that tackle. The fact is, they were going to be in field goal range. And the, him missing that tackle and allowing Jamar Jays to go down and score with a minute 57 left was probably a better result than them just getting into field goal range and running the clock out and kicking a field goal. You at least had a chance to go back down and score. So in that sense, like we can blame Tyron. He's not the reason they lost in that, in that moment, they were set up to lose by the fact that the offense didn't maintain possession on that last drive. And yeah, then was- Hunt obviously went 20 yards. I don't want to, but I guess I need to see that Chase touchdown again
1: because, to me, that was a, a big miss by uh, by Roby. I didn't really
3: uh, have Tyron on that. It should have never gotten to Tyron. Like, Roby needs to make that tackle one-on-one, and he didn't, and then Tyron had to come up, and he missed. You know, I, I questioned this a few weeks back. I'm questioning it again today. I don't know if I trust DA as the play caller on the defensive side of the ball. There have been too many That's crazy decisions. to say, right? where this is the third time in two weeks that I think this defense allowed seven points because they were trying to prevent three. And that can't happen over and over again. And here's what DA had to say about the defensive play calling in that final sequence.
2: Look, they, they got a kicker that can kick it a long way. And so um, we've got to execute the punt better in that situation. We gave them the ball in, in, in good field position. Um, you're not going to be able to sit back and be ultra-conservative in that situation. And so, um, you know, we missed a tackle, and, and, and a good player took it, took it all away. way. So um, I thought up until that moment, I thought we'd actually done a solid job, you know, on, on Chase, but, you know, half his receiving yards, I think, came on that one play.
3: He's not wrong, and here's how it sounded on WWO Radio.
2: Saints on top, 26-24. Nixon is to Burrow's
1: left, who's out of the shotgun. Back to throw. Saints bring pressure. Throws complete to Jamar Chase on the near side. First down, more to go, and that is going to be a touchdown for Jamar Chase, who will walk it into the end zone. Missed tackles on the left side, and quite frankly, I'd rather have the ball in my daggone hands. 60 yards on
3: the touchdown for the Rumble Raider. Yeah. Mike didn't sound too excited, but the, you know, that explanation, it's like, fine, I get it. He can kick the ball a long way. <laughs> you you can't, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't like that the defensive play calling in that, in that sequence, you know, they're going to go to Jamar, you, you know what they're going to try to do there. And I, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't a fan of it last week at the end of the first half. And I wasn't a fan of it here.
1: Yeah. There's just a lot of things that are frustrating. With this team right now, I'm still a little shook from the game. I guess you could say because it really felt like they were controlling the ball. Uh, the the time of possession, the ground attack was working well. Andy Dalton was doing enough. It wasn't a great game for him passing, but I just felt with the with Kamara, Ingram, Taysom Hill, uh, even you know we saw a glimpse of what a newcomer and Rashid Rashid Shaheed can do. It just and 228 yards, I think they finished with on the ground. You would think with that and no turnovers is a recipe for winning.
3: Yeah, I think if you want to take a silver lining out of today, it's that Rashid Shahid got in the action and he you saw kind of the vision with him. You know, you saw some of that game-breaking speed, that ability. And I think this was a game where you kind of saw the limitations of Andy Dolan. You know, and yeah. I've, I've talked about this at length. You know, he's a guy who he will do what you want him to do but he's not going to do anything at a level that's that threatens the opposing defense, right? You know, he's going to pepper the middle of the field. He's going to spread the ball around. I think in a game like this where you didn't have weapons, he might've been the better option (laughs) because you you needed to be plotting and you needed to get downfield. The issue the saints had in this game and what lost them this game on the offensive side of the ball was you went one for five in the red zone in terms of scoring touchdowns. What this team has done to this point, has been super hyper-efficient in the red zone. Today, they were not that. Today, the only touchdown that came in the red zone was right after that Trent Taylor fumble that Zach Bond recovered. I do want to give him credit. Zach Bond made a play today. We've given him enough grief. He did make a big play in recovering that fumble. And then Andy hit Traquan Smith. Beyond that, I was not impressed with what Andy was able to do down today. And a lot of that had to do with the inability to pressure the ball down the field. He had Rashid Rashid, Shaheed. you know, his big play could have come on the first play of the game. for at least the saints first play of the game, because he had a step and the ball just went clean outside. And I, I don't know what happened, but it was a straight miss, right? Right. You had a, you had, I thought going into this game and I tweeted this last night that I thought the saints were going to adjust the way they use Taysom Hill in this game. And I expected him to be used more as a pass catcher. Instead, they adjusted his role into more of a pass thrower. And I think that was a mistake because Taysom Hill as a passer inherently is taking away what Taysom Hill does best, which is getting the ball in space and having people forced to tackle him. Right. Taysom Hill throwing it while you might get some better, you know, defensive looks in terms of what you're attacking, do you really trust him to be able to hit Kevin White down the field? I mean, like that combination is just not something that I'm going to go to. Right. And I understand why you're trying to do it. But there were moments in this game where Taysom was out in, in the route combinations and oh, he was open. Right. There was a play to Alvin Kamara in the red zone down here where Taysom was open in the flat underneath. And it's like, OK, get on the ball. Let him let him plow over some people. Instead, you tried to hit Alvin Kamara on the wheel route. You know, he was matched up with a linebacker. I understand what you're doing. But if the goal is to get Taysom Hill the ball, the goal should be to get Taysom Hill the ball, not to get Taysom Hill the ball behind the line of scrimmage having to throw it. And he did make a couple nice passes today. He hit Marquess Callaway for a first down twice. But, you know, I'm disappointed in their inability to incorporate him as a receiver. We heard, too, like, obviously from, you know, P.
1: Carmichael Jr., the offensive coordinator, of this past week of they wanted to get him more involved as a
3: receiver, and it it didn't even happen. It didn't. There was not even a target for him. No. And, you know, the, the interesting thing today was Jameis Winston was actually active in this game. And DA said afterward, it sounded like the only reason he was active was because you had to make moves elsewhere, which required you to cut Jake Luton. And so the only thing that made sense was to have Jameis active. But I do think that when you're dealing with, Andy Dalton versus Taysom Hill versus whatever we saw why I don't think Andy Dalton is going to be the starter for this team going forward. And it's because I just don't think he has enough juice. Like on that last drive, that, that last drive coming down the field, did you really think that this Saints team was threatening for a game winning touchdown? Like, were, was there ever any confidence in that? Cause there wasn't in my mind.
1: No. And definitely the big deflator was obviously the burrow to chase touchdown and you, you almost felt that one coming as well. But, yeah, I wasn't in any way thinking that, oh, here comes Dalton with the game-winning drive, although there was, you know, another no call in the Superdome with the, uh, you know, no pass interference at the end of the game. And that it's, it's just tough to stomach. And I know it happens all across the NFL, but it just seems to happen consistently to the Saints week in and week out with these t- awful – No calls or
3: or going for or against them kind of thing. Yeah, see, I don't think that's pass interference by rule. He fell. And it's on Marquez to avoid him. Being a body on the ground does not entitle the other player to just fall over them and, and have a penalty called. Like, I don't think that that's pass interference by rule. Well, and I, I wasn't sure. Kind of looked like that he tripped him purposely, but no. Well, I, well, I mean, who who knows what's going on inside Eli Apple's cobweb mind? But I mean, in watching it in real time, it looked like they kind of get tangled up. Eli fell, and then Marquez was unable to avoid him. But like, that's not a penalty—at least not from my understanding of it. And I'm sure that there's going to be something that's looked at. You know, it happened in the same part of the field as the Tommy Lee Lewis play. Yeah. These are on completely different levels. If you want to complain about one, the hit Eli put on Alvin Kamara, it was a Taysom Hill play where he rolled out and he was throwing it away, but he was throwing it away at the feet of Alvin Kamara. And while the ball was in the air, Eli oh, comes yeah. up and just lays a shoulder into him and puts him on his back. And I'm like, that's pass interference. Like just because he's the ball is getting thrown away doesn't make it not pass interference. Like you can say it's uncatchable, but it's only you know, the ball was in the air when it happened. So like, it's a strange situation, but like to that pass interference, you can't let some get away with just chucking a guy. Um, so if you want to call and and that's a red zone play, I think they obviously settled for a field goal on that drive because they didn't score another touchdown on the red zone. So, you know, that that's one that I would be more upset about. I'll also be upset about the DeMario Davis roughing the passer call. DA wouldn't go into it after the game because he likes his money and I don't blame him, but Yeah, that's at a certain point, the the defensive player is at fault for being dumb enough to hit the quarterback. Because, you know, it's like, I get it. That's a legal hit on a quarterback. You should be able to make that hit. But the NFL has made it very clear that you are not allowed to hit the quarterback. And so even going for a hit is a foolish play, and it's on you. Like, that's not how it should be, but that's how it is. And, like, in moments like that, You got to you got to just pull up like there's no other there's no alternative. And in fairness to the refs, they were consistent because they gave the Saints a first down on a third and 25 because Trey Hendrickson like like gave Andy Dalton a little shove after the ball was gone. So, you know, in 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 the sense of fairness, they did call it both ways. But it's just frustrating because those are game-changing calls whenever they happen. Regardless of whether they're consistent, they are game-changing and they extend drives. And that's what happened to the Saints. And that was the first Bengal scoring drive. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to blame the refs, right? Like, there are mistakes made every week. You just have to live with it. And I don't think there was anything in this game that was egregious in the sense that the Saints couldn't have overcome it. The Saints didn't win this game, and it's on them.
1: Saints definitely lost this game. They gave this game away, sadly. But it's just so tough when you have these mobile quarterbacks. Obviously, you know, Joe Burrow is not Lamar Jackson, but he's still very athletic and able to run. And so if you let up and, you know, don't tackle him, what's to say he doesn't, you know, run for another four or five-yard gain? I know the ball was already clearly thrown away from him, but it's a tough scenario. We heard Cam Jordan earlier this week even talk about it, that he brought his blanket and pillow to lay... Burrow down gently onto the turf and the defense definitely failed the saints. I I will say the refs had a part in it, but they weren't, they're not to blame in this game, obviously
3: no more than any other week. But yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with you and that's why it's frustrating because there were two plays in this game, right? Where Joe Burrow extended the play. One of them, he ran for a touchdown because the pass rush kind of got sucked up field and the, and the defensive backs were all kind of chasing to the other side of the field. Uh, And he was able to just basically walk in from 20 yards out. On another one, it was a third down play on, I don't think it was their final drive. I think it was their second to last drive, the field goal drive. Yeah. You know, the they had him dead to rights in the backfield and he was able to kind of escape and he got it downfield to Tyler Boyd to extend that drive. And that's a big play in that game, right? Like they're down five points at that at that point. So that's a that's a situation where all the Saints have to do is get the ball back. And then when you're trying to defend a touchdown versus a field goal, it's a completely different situation, right? Like, Jamar Chase doesn't score a touchdown there if the Bengals aren't only behind by two. And this is kind of what I was saying before you allowed seven points because you were trying to prevent three. And so if you tackled, if you're able to get Joe Burrow to the ground, you know, who knows if they're ever even in that scenario to begin with. And that's where it's, it's frustrating because you can't hit a quarterback, but then also you have to tackle him just to, to prevent that from happening. So yeah, I, I agree. It's frustrating. I don't know what you do, but I think in that scenario, if you if tomorrow had it back, I think the only answer you have is put your put your arms up, right, and don't hit him, because you know what's going to happen. You can't blow a guy up anymore. It's it's the rules. It's stupid, but it's the rules.
1: And th- this coming short week is not going to be any easier against a guy like Kyler Murray, who's like a, a video game to
3: me. I don't even know how you catch that guy. Yeah, he runs like Super Mario. Like he has exactly got legs. <laughs> um, but okay, let's let's take a break here. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Gellers, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. I want to talk more about the kind of going into next week because we don't have any time to sit here and talk about this game, which thankfully we don't. We have to turn right around and get into next week. So I want to talk about Jameis, but I want to get more into what DA said about Jameis' availability for next week and some of these other guys. Stick around on Inside Black and Gold.
2: He's not 100% healthy, and it's probably more of a product of, you know, trying to find 48 available bodies to play in the game. Look, we got a Thursday night game. Let's 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 get into the uh, study on that, and we'll see we'll see where he's at, um, and we'll go from there.
3: Back here on Inside Black and Gold, I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Gellers, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And that was Dennis Allen talking about Jameis Winston, who was active for this game as the back. And, you know, he was kind of responding to questions of whether Jameis would start next week, right? Is he going to be the starter on Thursday? If he was available to play today, you would imagine he would be. But what Dennis was saying there was he's not 100% healthy. And the reason he's active today is because you needed a backup quarterback because you had to cut Jake Luton. So I don't know. You know, he he's leaving room for questioning there about how healthy Jameis actually is. And I would bet money that Jameis is on the starting line for that game, especially because you've kind of seen what you can expect from Andy. And I think you need a little bit more out of that position but it'll be interesting to watch and you don't have a lot of time to talk about it because that game's coming up on Thursday and you got to turn right around to it. And I'm sure these players are happy to because they don't want to spend any more time than they have to think about this game.
1: Yeah. My, my other question besides how close is Jameis to being a hundred percent is the fact that what about Jarvis Landry? What about Michael Thomas? Are we any closer to getting at least one of those top targets back? I think Chris Olave might have a chance to be back Thursday because he seemed to be progressing through that concussion protocol, but wasn't active. Obviously this game, I don't think that was a bad decision at all, considering how serious that that concussion looked uh, last week. But he was able to go through practice and obviously was progressing through the NFL protocols, passing certain tests along the way. It's obvious, I think, that the team needs more weapons because – while I think Traquan Smith had a decent game this week, uh, Marquez Callaway as well. They just—they're they're not your top guys, and they, this whoever is the quarterback needs
3: more weapons around them. Obviously, I actually disagree on the Chris Olave front. I think you don't think he'll be ready. Well, I mean, to me, it's more likely that Mike Thomas and Jarvis Landry are are ready, and you were kind of keeping them out this week because you didn't think they would be able to play both games, and you wanted them. You know, so like, think of it this way. Like if you could have got them out there at 80% for week six versus 90% for week seven by not playing week six, then you would have had them just play week seven, right? Because if you had them play at 80% in week six, and then for week seven, they were 60%, which is probably a no go, then that's not beneficial. And you're back to square one, right? I think that's probably what's happening with Mike Thomas and Jarvis Landry, whereas Chris Olave is in a situation where if you are unable to clear him for this game, it is because of the atmosphere. It is because of the noise, the lights, the music, you know, and, and that's not necessarily going to change four days from now, right? You are more at the mercy of just, you know, your brain, <laughs> you know? And so if there were issues for this game, I am concerned that the issues will not be cleared up by Thursday. And there's really no way to know that it's not like, okay, get some treatment, right? Like, you got it's it's your brain working anyway. So see, I, for I'm, me, for
1: me at least, we saw Olave practicing. We
3: still haven't. I didn't even see Thomas or Landry walk
1: through the locker room this week. This past yeah, but, week, yeah,
3: but but again, if he was able to practice and not get out there this week, there is clearly a limitation that has beyond that. So like practicing is one thing. Being out here with seventy thousand people at lights blaring and music, that is a completely different scenario. And we are talking about a concussion. Right now, I think that Mike Thomas and Jarvis are close and you're resting them so that they can be ready, I think that when you're dealing with a head injury, it's it's a lot more difficult. Look how long Taysom was out last year. It's, it's not as simple as saying, well, he's practicing, so he must be close. It's when is he cleared? And I don't know if that's going to change by Thursday. See, to me, I was
1: like, at least he was questionable. Uh, with Olave, I just have no clue right now anything about Landry or Michael Thomas, except that, you know, Dennis Allen might be saying they're close to being back on the field, but... The fact that we haven't seen them on the field, even riding the bicycle or walking through the locker room, saying "Hey," is is a concern for me on both uh, Thomas's toe and Landry's
3: ankle. Yeah, but the unknown doesn't isn't a negative. It's just like they're not out there, so we don't know what they're doing. But I'm sure no, they're getting That's worse. true. Just because right. we don't see them in the 20-minute window of practice doesn't mean they're not getting work in. So I, I don't know. I, I, I expect we'll see one or both of them on Thursday. That would sure. be my expectation. And I, I expected to see Chris a lot. Like, I expected if Chris Alava was practicing that he would have been cleared for this game. And the fact that he is not, to me, is a NFL thing. And that's where I'm concerned, right? They are no longer going to let people skate through the protocol. And four days is not going to change a ton. Well, unfortunately,
1: one guy that will be back is DeAndre Hopkins, who is coming off suspension, yes. just
3: in time to play the Saints. Just in time. Just in time. The good news for the Saints is if those guys are back, they're rested. <laughs> right. So, you know, and, and that's why I think, you know, part of the reason you were, you held Jameis out today is because, you know, you want him to be able to go into that fresh. And now you you also wouldn't have to worry about Andy Dalton turning around and playing on three days rest. And so, yeah, I I, I don't know, but. I said in the pregame that you really needed to win this game because that's a really tough trip to make on a short week. Um, and I don't know if you can even go in there and win that game. If you don't get bodies back, I have a really hard time seeing you go out to Arizona and win that game. Um, but you know, now you have to. I mean, two and four, it's not a death sentence because of what we have seen across the league right? Yeah, the Bucs are the three MSC and three, style, right. the Falcons are three and three. Like you are still only a game out. If you string a couple wins together, you're right there. And you have head to head matchups at the end of the season with both of those teams. You just have to win a couple games, but two and five, you know, it's like, it's like, it's, this is a, you know, as, as someone who grew up watching the giants, it seemed like every year it was like, Oh, they're two and seven, but if they just win their next six games, they'll be fine. Right. At a certain point, that's just a lost cause. And I don't think the Saints are there yet, but it feels like they're getting close because this is ugly. No, and right now, you
1: know, it's, it hurts to talk about uh, a team. I don't, don't want to say we're fans, but we're obviously pulling for the home team. I don't care what anyone says as a media member. You, you, you would hope that people want the team you're covering to do well. It just makes things a lot more fun. But right now, Jeff, it's like we're, we're fighting now just to get to 500. And, and that's just rough.
3: Yeah. And, and to me, you know, and so, yeah, sure. But (laughs) it's more, to me, the bigger frustration is not that you're, you're losing games. It's how you're losing games. It's that you kind of felt like, okay, you have these offensive injuries and you have these struggles, but this team was built around the defense and Even last year, you saw with Taysom Hill at the end of the season, it was like, okay, you can win on defense if you play a certain way. Well, you played that way today, right? You played the Taysom Hill, don't turn it over, don't make mistakes, don't be extra aggressive, kick field goals, and you lost because the defense couldn't get it done. And so if you can't win games that way, I don't well, know.
1: I mean, the, the 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 offense failed in the in the red zone as well. So I mean, you got to put
3: that there too. We're getting yeah, field the, goals instead of like, like you won a game nine to nothing last year, right? You won you won kicking field goals last year and putting your defense in good positions, and you can say, okay, that last drive the defense was not put in a good position, but the Bengals still got it at the 40 and they scored on the first play. (laughs) It's not like you're, you're, you can't build a team around defense and say this is a defense first team and then not be able to do anything on defense in big moments. They couldn't do it against the Panthers. They couldn't do it against the Vikings. And now they couldn't do it against the Bengals. I put all three of those losses on the defense. I can't argue with you there just because there's been issues
1: in the backfield. Uh, There's, you know, the loss of Malcolm Jenkins and Marcus Williams in the secondary I thought they were a great pair together and then you know there's another guy that swag factor is missing as well with CJ Gardner-Johnson got, gone right now too and I don't know and to me that the D-line is just not getting the job done either that there's problems up front I don't know what's up with Marcus Davenport and Cam's Cam I think you know he's going to have his games where he's able to dominate but just overall uh, especially in the interior of the D line, too, just not getting enough push up
3: front. There hasn't been a point this season where I felt like, man, this defense is helping you win games. I mean, like in the sense that they are they are here and they are playing. That's one thing. But like even against the Seahawks, the game you won, you won in spite of the defense. Against the Falcons, sure, the the defense held up. But they still got taken for a ride by Marcus Mariota in the first half of that game. The first three quarters of that game, they'd got the job done late, but they didn't have a great game, you know, against the Panthers, 67 yard touchdown when you needed them to to shut down, right? When you needed them to show up, you know, they played well against the Bucs in week two and the offense. You could say the offense let them down. They held the Bucs to three points through three quarters. You should win that game. But. In no, in none of the other games did I feel like this defense is being a dominant defensive group today. You obviously didn't have Marshawn Lattimore. I understand you didn't have Marshawn Lattimore, but yeah, you know it, it's frustrating.
1: It is, and you know it's like we're like the the, uh, the battered spouse. I don't know. Keep looking at the standings and going, but but there's still a chance. There's still hope for this team. I I hate to put that comparison. It's probably te- terrible to say that kind of you know uh, with this, but still having hope that you can make way in the NFC South because you know the rest of the division isn't that good is is that how we should we should be thinking or is it like or, or is this team as bad as the the Carolina Panthers who I don't even know how they're doing right now and they're their late game matchup
3: okay the rams have taken over at least in that game this is true you know a lot of teams are struggling in the NFL right now Right. D- unless you're the New York football team. So apparently say, there you go. everything is on its head, and New York is the Mecca of football again. Cause the Giants beat the Ravens, the Giants are five and one. The Jets beat the Packers. Back-to-back weeks. Like Why? the Packers went and lost to both New York teams. Unbelievable. <laughs> so I mean, like, there's a lot of teams that are out there struggling, right? So the Saints are not alone, and that means that they are going to have the ability to turn things around, but you have to turn things around. And the frustrating thing for me is, you know, I sit here every week and I tell you that there's talented players on this team. This is a good football team. They're going to figure it out, but they have shown no signs of that on the defensive side of the ball. From my view, like that's, that's been the nice thing about watching the saints for the last decade plus is you could say, man, they're struggling, but you know, you trust the coaching staff. You trust them to turn it around. You trust your Brees, You trust Tom, P- Sean Payton, I said Tom Payton, trust Sean Payton. And I don't know if I can say that this year.
1: No. And I see JGP jr. Saying there y'all. Okay. I don't, I, I don't think I am. I'm, I'm hurting from this one, really, Jeff. I really believed after that start that this team got off to on the Bengals. And like I said just before, the ability to run the ball, they were doing it so well uh, against a team that was so strong against the run. I think they were seventh in the NFL, the Bengals, allowing under 100 yards a game rushing. There was the penalties were cut down. That was on a minimum and there were no turnovers and they still found a way to give this one away at home. We can't even win back-to-back games in the Superdome anymore.
3: Well, I mean, we knew that that's not new. That hasn't been the case for two years. To
1: me, it's, it's really insulting to the crowd's been there. I've been impressed. These noon starts, it's always, Oh, they're so they're late arriving. You got to get into your seats early. And these fans were there. They've been there the last two weeks early. Uh, you know, the who that chant going full force Uh, the dome being loud on those third down plays and they're still finding a way to just blow things.
3: Yeah, no, the crowd had juice. The crowd had juice the last two weeks. Um, You can't blame the crowd. And then the team has has tried in the past. <laughs> Sean was Sean tried last year. I thought that was kind of weak because if you're not going to win a game at home, why are you expecting the crowd to be loud? But, yeah, no, the crowd has been great. I, I didn't think there was any issue with the crowd. We There was some concern over whether they might cheer for the Bengals because Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, all that. Joe showed was, up in Jamar's championship jersey. That was not the me, case. You know, there were some LSU shirts in there, but, you know, nothing crazy. To
1: me, there was one little part in the fourth quarter where there was a murmur of a Hootay chant going on. Other than that, it was definitely full four Saints fans. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know what? You, you saw a smattering of orange around the, the dome. It wasn't like that Cincinnati Bengals fans, I feel, even had a huge showing in the Superdome.
3: No, no, I, I thought the crowd was great today. All right, let's hit our last break and come back and just power through some of these questions. They're not nice, but we're going to hit them. I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Gellar inside Black and Gold. Brought to you by the Mark Automotive Complex. There must be a, a reason I say that a lot. I hope, I hope you hear it. All right, coming back at you.
1: Welcome into our final segment of Inside Black and Gold. The Saints coming off a loss at home to the Bengals. The Inside Black and Gold podcast brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Group. Their must be a reason and jeff the reason for this team struggling it's hard to pinpoint because i think we kind of touched on it a little bit the fact that it hasn't been the same thing you know we talked about obviously penalties turnovers were the issue that
3: wasn't it this week no right they this was a team that had talked all all year about okay we got to stop shooting ourselves in the foot we got to stop shooting ourselves in the foot they did that today it did not help they still no, won. and then at the end, you know, there was
1: really the chunk play. There was only that really, I think, one big chunk play from the, the Bengals,
3: huh? Yeah, no, I mean, they had some big plays. I, you know, I thought that first touchdown to Jamar Chase was really just like a dime throw. I have yeah. a hard time putting that against Paulson Adebo. He tried to get physical. Jamar beat him on the release. That touchdown pass, if you want to look at something and say, where is Andy Dalton limited? What can't he do? That That throw. Where he just rifled it in between two defenders over the top, right where it needed to go. I don't think you can throw with that type of pace anymore, right? I think that's a throw you would never see him make. And he would never even see him try it. And that's the type of throw that when you have these elite quarterbacks, you're able to make. I don't know if James can make that throw, right? And so I'm not saying that James is going to come back and be this solve for everything that has been ailing the Saints. But... I do think your your offensive ceiling needs to be higher than it was today. And you can change that by bringing back your receivers. You can change that by doing a lot of things. But the offense needs to be better to complement this defense. And if you had gone into this season knowing that this defense was going to struggle the way, it, the way it has, you would never in a million years have gone all in the way you did with those trades. And David Weil here <laughs> with a comment, Philadelphia must think we're fools giving up so many picks and then trading them C.J. Gardner-Johnson for next to nothing. I just don't get it. You know, it's gonna look real, real bad for this front office if not only do the Eagles add C.J. Gardner-Johnson. You know, they're the only unbeaten team left in football, right? In the NFL, they've been dominating. They're playing the Cowboys later on. They might have lost by the time this podcast posts. But one way or another, they're either gonna be six and zero or five and one. They have two first round picks next year. One of them belongs to the Saints, and. At this rate, it's gonna be a top 10 draft pick. So, I was gonna say, yeah, it looks like a top ten pick right now, easily. I mean that that this could end up going down as one of the most bungled transitions from a long-term coaching regime in the history of the NFL if things don't turn around. And you gotta figure out a way to do it because no one's walking through that door and fixing these issues. You gotta fix them yourself. I, I mean I have this- a problem too with the narrative of like all oh, the Saints
1: medical staff needs to be all be fired. I don't I don't know if you can really put the blame
3: on injuries because of your doctors. Well, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I keep seeing that too. Right. And it's like, Oh man, they should fire everybody. Oh, you mean like, like, like go and and replace your 18 year, uh, entrenched strength and conditioning coach. Right. You mean like that, like fire that guy and fire all of his assistants. That's what they did. They've already done that. If you did what you're suggesting, you would have fired your entire strength and conditioning staff twice within a matter of a year. they've already done it. Okay. So I, I mean, some of it's just bad luck, right? Like injuries happen. You you know, you also have, you have this habit of drafting injury prone linemen. I I don't know why you do that. Like, but Hey, it is what it is. You know, you knew Michael Thomas was an injury risk. He's dealing with an injury. Jarvis Landry was coming off an injury. These are both guys later in their careers. Injuries happen. I don't, I, I mean like, but to say this, the staff, I mean, this this staff has been more proactive at, at dealing with injuries than I've ever seen so I don't know I don't know what you do but like if you're suggesting you should fire the staff you either don't know that they already fired their staff or you think they should do it again so I don't know yeah I'm seeing
1: here too from the lost face killer Peyton Turner first round pick that's that's been a big spur in my side whatever you want to say I, I, I talked to you the other day I mentioned I was like the, He's like Mr. Glass. There seems to be something wrong with him constantly. And going into the draft even, you knew this guy had an injury history in college and you still selected him so high, which was a big head scratcher. Yeah.
3: No, and... and tough I did see him at least on the sideline today. He was at least present at the game. I'm sure he's been there working. It's just, you know, injuries happen. There's not that much you can do. The funny thing is, the guy who we always used to complain about with injuries is Marcus Davenport, and he's been the healthiest guy in the room. Right, but just... I feel like too quiet. I haven't heard his name as being an impact enough. Yeah, but he's on the field. Yay. I mean, I I mean, I don't put this game on the pass rush, but it's a part of, it's a part a cumulative part of the defensive effort though. I guess, but I think, I think the pass rush did its job today and the secondary, you know, they didn't tackle like, but the tackling, the missed tackles weren't the pass rush. I I don't know. Like I, I guess if I'm, if I'm ranking the issues the Saints had today, I'm not putting the pass rush toward the top of that list because, again, like they did come up, you know, they had three sacks. Um, they had six QB hits. They had three tackles for loss. I, I mean, at a certain point, it's you got to cover. And I, I don't know if, if they did. And they didn't tackle when the ball got downfield. But, you know, I, I'm, I don't take issue with the, the pass rush so much. Um but either way, it's it's something you gotta you gotta work with. Robert Tillman here. If the Saints continue to fail so dramatically this season with this talent, are they going to trust Da for the future? I don't know if there's a path to recovery. I mean, I think so. Tough. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I, they're gonna be one and done with Da. I wouldn't think so either. But if I'm playing devil's advocate here, you you bet on D- Dennis Allen because you wanted to maintain the continuity, right? If you flame out badly enough that you end up deciding, okay, we want to change our offensive coordinator. We want to change this. We want to change this. Then the continuity is no longer there. And so are you committed to Dennis Allen for anything beyond maintaining the culture that was already established? And as long as you are continuing to do that, as long as that is the path you're taking, I think that Dennis Allen's job is safe. Now, if you decide to change, if you decide to deviate, if you say this culture has not maintained and we need to reset, then I don't know if he's the guy you stick with just because of the reason he has the job in the first place, which is because the culture was was so good that you wanted to try to maintain it. So that's, if I'm playing devil's advocate, that's what I would say. All that said, I don't think this is a team that's going to fire a guy after one season. You're going to give him a chance to kind of rebuild the team in his own in his own image to some extent. So, you know, I think that they will trust him beyond this season, but it's got to get better.
1: Yeah, and I don't know... There hasn't been the continuity anywhere right now, except for the 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 offense, I'll say at least looks better than last season, but the defense has vastly been downgraded, and I don't know if it's because of the losses of the bodies that you know the the safeties you got new two two new starting safeties this year. you lost the guy, another one that you traded away c j. Gardner Johnson, but everybody up front is the same, and i I do. I have a problem still with the pass rush. I don't think they're they're hitting enough at home, and even getting you know enough just just enough pressure on the quarterback to make them uncomfortable. To me,
3: Burrow was still looked at ease today. I mean, he didn't late in the game, but I mean, my issue is more you didn't turn the ball over. You, I mean, you 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 created a turnover on special teams. The secondary the pass rush, you need to, there's no contact fumbles. There are no turnovers. I mean, so there's no interceptions like there, the game changing plays have not been made, um, at the level that you would need them to be for a defense to win a game for you. And that's, that's what I think you, you, you're, you're missing, right? You're not seeing the ball hawking plays. You're not seeing, uh, you know, the big, the big forced fumbles, and recoveries in moments like the giants today. If you go back and watch that giants game, they forced two turnovers in the last six minutes of that game. That's how they won. When is the, we, you know, the, the, the saints have not done about that it
1: here too. And the giants are loaded with injuries.
3: Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're throwing it. Daniel Bellinger, a guy you've never heard of was their leading receiver today. He's a rookie tight end. Wandale Robinson caught a touchdown. pass. like they have Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, and you probably couldn't name me another player on that offense. And then they're five and one. So like you can win games, but you have to do all of the things that help you win games, and not just show up. And To this point, it just feels like this team is just showing up. Charles Coleman here, Mickey Loomis should take some of the blame too. No, I mean I think you definitely. If you know, he he went all in. Sure, he's your uh, architect. And, and part of that is you wanted to give Da the pieces this year, and you want to you want to ask you know whether they're going to trust Da beyond the season. You know, one of the reasons you do is because I don't want to put a head coach in a scenario where. I'm hiring him in year one. He doesn't have a first round pick. That's what the Raiders did to Dennis Allen the first time <laughs> he was head coach. And that's not some situation sure. you want to be put in. So like, if anything, that is actually helping Dennis Allen get some long-term uh, stability in the sense that you're not going to want to put anyone else in that situation. Uh, he's got to find his way out of it. But um, no, I think I you like definitely, you, you'd lay some blame at the f- feet of Mickey Loomis. No question. Folks are be quick to go say quickly though,
1: to you is like, Oh, we'll get a first round pick for Sean Payton. I don't even know. If that's the compensation you get for Sean because is is a team that's going to be having, say a top 10 pick and looking for a head coach really going to want to cripple their new head coach. I just don't know if you're going to get that high of a draft pick for Sean or for ends up being you know like multiple seconds maybe, but a, a first round pick just guaranteed if you do get to trade Sean
3: Payton, I don't think is is a given. It depends how much that team wants them. Right. And I mean, if the going, if, if the price, if the asking price is that, then, you know, someone's going to have to going to have to pony up and it's going to be a situation where if you're trying to, if you're, if you're trying to negotiate with one team, then who knows what it's going to be. If there's a bidding war, then you have a chance to get multiple first round picks at this point. I think you'd settle for one. You can get a first-round pick from a team like the Chargers. I think that you know that that is built to to to, to win and doesn't necessarily need that first-round pick, right? They they feel like they have enough assets that they they really just need a head coach that can kind of build to that kind of winning culture. Like that's where you're going to trade them and potentially get a first-round pick back. But again, that's not going to be a team that's picking in the in the top ten. That's going to be a team that's picking at the end of the first round. So like, that's, that's where you would end up getting it. And so maybe you would get, so if you trade into to the Panthers, you know, a second round pick, you would not be that much less valuable than a first round pick from the chargers. Right. You're only talking about five, six picks difference, assuming the chargers, you know, find a way to get back where, you know, to the playoffs this year, which they missed last year by teens, a little bit, but yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm seeing some of the, you know, reactions here in our, uh, chat box that, you know, like wish we had the enemy as head coach this year. I don't, I don't even know if that was really even a serious consideration for the yeah, team. They, I know they, they did didn't interview. interview him.
3: They did interview him.
1: I wish he was the offensive coordinator. Right. But was he really going to take like a sideways move? You know what I mean? From Kansas city to here, I, I don't think that was going to happen, especially when, Oh,
3: I'm, I'm, I'm coaching Patrick Mahomes or I've got Jameis and Andy Dalton. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. That was the, that was the kind of equation. I think, you know, the difference would have been, Hey, you are running this offense you're calling the plays. This is your offense. And you are basically head coach one B right. Cause right. yeah, he's a defensive coach. That would have been my sales pitch. Who's who knows if they made it, who knows if that's what he was looking for, but either way didn't happen. So there's no point talking about it. Maybe it's something you can revisit next year, but you know, he's also an unproven head coach. We don't know how he would be in a head coaching role. So it's like to say that was, that would have been the, the, Perfect answer. You just don't know. It's not like he's in a head coaching role now, and you're like, man, if only he was here. He's still an offense coordinator who is doesn't call the plays. You know, he's he's the Pete Carmichael of that offense. So I'm
1: also seen on here, and I agree with 504 Hot Boy. It was very obvious how much we needed Lattimore, and obviously a guy that you're going to miss. I, you know, any any defense is going to miss your top corner, especially this one with so many uh, guys that have been hurting as as is, but. Uh, I'm curious to know if he'll be ready for this game because, you know, hearing that he had a bruised spleen after that hit that he took in the Seattle Seahawks game is pretty brutal. I don't know how much recovery time you need for that.
2: Well, look, I thought the guys that went in there and played, I thought they, I thought they did, you know, I thought they competed. Um, Did we miss Lattimore? Yeah. I think, you know, when you lose a player of his caliber, um, against a really explosive offense that, that throws the ball a lot. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. You miss him. You definitely miss him.
3: Yeah. You miss him. You definitely miss him. No, I mean, I didn't think that, that Adebo played that badly today. You know, he got beat on that touchdown to Jamar chase. But again, like I said, I think that throw was, was a, was a next level caliber throw. Sometimes you get beat, right? Um, Roby, you know, he's the, he's the CB3 for a reason. You know, you don't want to put Roby on an island against Jamar Chase. You never did. You never will. And he got beat and he missed the tackle and it is what it is. I thought that for going into a game without Lattimore, you know, you didn't get torched, right? Like, like there, it wasn't like you spent this game like thinking the entire game, like, man, if only they had Lattimore, they wouldn't be getting destroyed. They they were winning this game until the last two minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thought, you know, for, from a depth perspective, you know, I still feel like cornerback is one of the deeper positions you have and you should feel good about it. But you know, anytime you're without your star players, you're without your star players and you're going to notice. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I
1: think it was, it might've been last year or the year before Demario Davis even mentioned how big a key that Lattimore is to how this Saints defense just plays in general. He may not seem like the most vocal leader, but on the field, he basically said, this defense goes as Marshawn Lattimore goes. And, you know, you, you see what happens when you don't have a guy like that around, obviously. I thought Adebo was all right, too. It was just, like I said, I, I'm going to have to rewatch, you know, some of the, the film coverage of, of things. But the, the missed tackle at the end by Roby was just, it,
3: it made you, like, have that verp, that vomit burp in your mouth. And it yeah. just left that ugly, bad taste. Ugly, 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 ugly. Uh, David Wild, one more question. Has Michael Thomas been out four weeks? Why didn't he go on IR? Same with Landry. No, neither of them have been out four weeks, right? Mike Thomas right. went out after week three. So it's been three weeks. If he misses Thursday, then it would be four weeks. And then you could say, well, maybe they should have put him on IR. But, you know, I think it's pretty clear this team was expecting him back prior to four weeks. And so you don't know the extent of an injury the first week, the second week. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not questioning, like, he, putting him on IR wouldn't solve any of these problems. Landry has missed one fewer week than Mike Thomas. So he played in, in London. So he's been out two weeks. So, you know, if, if you had put them on IR immediately, then the earliest Mike Thomas could have come back would be week eight. So I don't, I don't think not putting them on IR is the issue. But you, I do think you're, I'm hopeful that you get them back for this upcoming week. Um, speaking of Arizona on Thursday night, remember that that tissue paper Seahawks defense that the Saints you know, rolled through for 39 points? Yeah. Well, that Cardinals team you're playing in four days, they are sitting on nine points with 24 seconds left in this game Ooh. against that same defense, 19 to nine. So maybe that game's a little more winnable than I gave it credit for. Because if you're talking about a team that had some expectations and is struggling without one of its star players, Go look at Arizona; they're also going to be two and four. Yeah, I'm looking here, and it it seems to be the whole Kyler
1: Murray show. He's passed for 200 yards and run for 100, and everybody else not not
3: much else. Yeah, I mean they're 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 losing this game. This is a divisional game for them, and they are getting embarrassed by the oh, Seahawks by a by, by by a historically bad Seahawks <laughs> defense. This right. is a Seahawks defense that allowed 45 points to the Lions and 39 points to this anemic Saints team that we just watched today. Um, so, Hey, maybe, maybe there is a chance. Maybe the saints game gets up and done
1: one tiny note about the, uh, you know, the saints wide receiving core. We were just talking about was an injury at the end of the game to Keith Kirkwood, who went into the injury tent, uh, right at like 30, 40, you know, 40 seconds left in the game kind of thing. And it'll be interesting to see when we'll get the first injury report this week since they play on Thursday, I'm guessing Tuesday, maybe.
3: No, I think it would be Monday, but it will be, be estimated, right? It'll be an estimated injury report. Cause I don't think they'll actually practice on Monday. Right. Um, but I would tomorrow. imagine
1: that he's going to be a guy too, after I, I didn't see exactly what it was. Just saw the injury tank go up. He went in and boom, 30, 40 seconds later, game was over. Unfortunately, saints lose. But like I said, that's another one to monitor just because the depth that this wide receiving core is hurting as it is, hopefully, we can get a Mike T
3: or a Landry back, and yeah, I guess uh, Olave is a big question mark still with the concussion protocol. No doubt. Okay, I think that's gonna wrap it up for us here on Inside Black and Gold. Thanks everyone who joined. Thanks everyone who left a comment, left a question. We're trying to try to recover with us here after yeah. a painful thirty to twenty six Saints loss to the Cincinnati Joe Burrows. I mean Bengals. This is always brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Make sure to hit us up. On Twitter, you can find me at Jeff underscore Nowak. That's N O W A K, and at Steve Geller W W L. Make sure to give us a give us a subscribe. Give make sure to hit that subscribe button over on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Deezer, Radio Public. These are all the names of podcast things that I know and don't actually use. But if you use them, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Put the auto download on there. That's always nice because we're trying to we're trying to build this thing out. We've seen some good growth the last few weeks, so trying to keep building that. Hopefully, the Saints can win a couple games. That usually helps. Um, but yeah, Steve, any any parting any parting thoughts before we get out of here?
1: Just that fact of two and four is not a great feeling. Uh, looking at the division, it's still not a complete wash. I'm trying to stay upbeat and positive right now. Getting harder. But time to get back in that win column on the short week. I mean, why not? Uh, we we just talked about how Arizona's struggling, so Thursday night football is going to get another treat between the Arizona Cardinals and the New Orleans Saints.
3: Yeah, all those exciting Thursday night games, right? One programming note here: because they play on Thursday, I will not have the time or the energy to put together a film study pod. But we will, because we'll have to be doing the preview for that game on Tuesday. So we will have the same kind of schedule. We're still going to post our next podcast on Wednesday, but it will be the preview for the Thursday night game. And then, you know, we're going to kind of have to cycle back into the normal schedule from there. But Joe, if anyone's looking for that film, I'm going to still try to go through it and still try to put up a post on it on WWL, but I won't have time to do any like real in- in-depth video breakdowns because I barely have enough time to watch it by the time we have to shift into the next game. So if you're looking for that, check it out uh next week i'll maybe i'll try to do a double di- double dip for the next week
1: i'm seeing here before we sign off brian russell's already jumped off the ledge
3: jeff we can't help him yeah he's he's gone for good we'll make it right. Brian. until next time maybe maybe we can have another happy podcast next week Hopefully. all right y'all peace